from the looks of things. Did something happen with kids on, or did we just none of us have kids? Hmm? They're all five and under, all in the nursery. We're big enough to be in here, but I don't see any of them. Are they just all too short? Supposed to have kids on with us this morning. Okay. Well. a couple of things for you. I want you to be taking some notes. Not necessarily preaching, but what the Lord is speaking to you, and here's why. I want you to write a few things down, maybe some questions that come to your heart that, or some uh, revelation that comes to your spirit today that you would be willing to bring back to your lighthouse this week when you gather and stimulate conversation over those thoughts, over those questions. Uh, over those um, scriptures that come to your heart and mind. And there's two reasons for that. One, I think that you could be a great contribution in your lighthouse by bringing some thoughts and bringing preparedness in your own heart to that moment when you gather and uh, say, this is what the Lord's speaking to me in, this, in these days when we're talking about surrender and life in Christ. And, and I want to bring that to my cell group, to my lighthouse. If uh, you're visiting with us and you have no idea what I'm talking about, on the back of this uh, sheet, there's a list of our small groups, if you will. We call them lighthouses, cell groups. They meet uh, on different days of the week, as you can see, and at different times and different types. Uh, there's one on there that will fit you, I'm sure. And um, so if you uh, were looking for that's kind of our menu. Okay? So um, this is how we gather during the week. We don't have a midweek service per se. So we gather in small groups in cells. And uh, our cells have the goal of growing and raising up new leaders and multiplying new cell groups throughout our community. We'd love for you to be a part of that. But those of you who are in one, I want you just to be ready to go back and contribute. Be, be ready to come into your cell. We're ready to worship this week and then stir one another to thoughts and application about the Word of God. The other reason for asking you to do that is because there are no notes. I confess, I didn't make any. And so there may be some by the time Monday rolls around. It's a holiday. I might be able to still go to the Keeper login on the website, and you'll find something there, I'm sure. Uh, but there's nothing to manufacture your own. All right? Now, for the next minutes, I want to do something different than we've never ever done. And I have to ask you to meditate a little bit in the service. Now, meditation is about emptying out so that anything can fall in. Meditation is about putting something in front of you so specifically that you wrap yourself around it entirely and think about it deeply. In fact, Psalm 1.1 talks about, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or stands in the uh, way of sinners or sits in the seat of scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate, meditate day and night. The, uh, the Jewish people had a have a word called davening, and when they meditate, and you've you've ever seen a picture of the wailing wall, where they're praying at the wailing wall. Have you ever seen that praying at the wailing wall? What do you see? You see them standing like this far from the wall, right, holding their book, and what are they doing? They're not standing very still, are they? They're like this. The best illustration I can give you this round here's our loa. I can't pray with our loa unless I rock. You know, somehow she's always moving, but. This is the word davening. Davening means to so occupy yourself 
mentally, spiritually, and even physically, that nothing else can really get in and intrude. You're occupying yourself with fully thinking about a passage of Scripture or a series of Scriptures. You're filling your mind and heart with those things. And uh, I think this davening is part of meditation. And the reason for that is the, the movement occupies your body so that you're not straying off. Come on, some of you fall asleep when you pray, right? Hey, you wander. And so you have to occupy yourself. As we talk about the one guy that used to say, oh, he fell asleep every time he prayed, so what he started doing was praying standing on the edge of the bathtub. He said, I won't fall asleep here. He just had to discipline himself to do something to stay awake. And uh, so the davening is part of, of getting yourself wrapped around a passage. That passage this morning, and I'm going to read it with you, is very simple. Chapter 1, Philippians. And then uh, Ezra just put on a little background music, and I want you to think deeply about this. Don't stop at the cursory thought that breaks in. Reach into your heart. And I'm going to ask for about a half a dozen responses around here this morning. But what is to you? What does this passage say to you? What does it mean to you? And that passage is simply Philippians 1, verse 21, where Paul states, For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Now I'm just going to give you a couple minutes. Think on it. Meditate on it. Jot down what the Lord speaks to you. What does it mean to you? How do you see it? What does it mean to you? For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, obviously to me, it's talking about literally living and dying, not the dying to self thing. And we 
as Christians, I know I don't have any affection for being here on this earth, so obviously to die, what's the bad part? I get to be with Christ. Mm -hmm. But then to stay down here and to serve him, to live is to serve him in the cause of salvation. Good. Thank you. You don't have to worry. <laughs> Good. A couple others. What's it saying to you, Beth? Giving up my own agenda and seeking the Lord's guidance and will for my life. Giving up my own agenda. That's good. I like that. A couple of others. What's it say to you? Gary? It means I no longer fear those who can kill the body, but I fear him who has, after that, has power to destroy the whole body and soul in hell. Yay. Fear him. That's good. Amen. No fear. Joe. Life is Christ, and to die is to live with Christ. Yeah. yeah. Amen. For to me, death is the liberator of you, freedom cannot release. The physician of he who fed us in that cure, and the Comforter for he who time cannot console. Death is freedom. Good. How to live uh, comes from Christ, and whom I live and have my being. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but it is Christ who lives in me. Amen. And if you want to turn there, Galatians 2.20. Part of our conversation this morning, Paul wrote to the Galatian churches, the churches of a district called Galatia, about five years, six years maybe, before he wrote the Philippian letter, where he wrote from jail. He'd been imprisoned. He was writing that letter to the Philippian church. But five years before that, six years before that, he was writing this to the Galatians and in verse 20 of Galatians 2, it states what Pastor Floyd was just quoting. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, when he was writing to the Galatian churches, they were being approached by the Judaizers, if you will, those who were followers of the law. And they were trying to tell these new Christians that they needed to also add the law back on. They needed to be circumcised. They needed to follow the Old Testament rules in order to be saved. And Paul was writing and saying, listen, if you've been set free from the law, the law was nothing more than a schoolmaster. It was a tutor. It was there to teach us that we could not attain a righteousness on our own merit. We couldn't do enough to make God happy with us. There wasn't any way we could earn our own way back into his favor. And, and the law was there to tell us that. All you have to do is read the thou shalt nots and think about how many times thou shalt. Right? And you did. And that was the law. It would condemn you. Paul said, when the law revived, I died. Every time the law was brought up, it killed me. 
Every time, because the law itself says this, the old law, the old covenant says if you offend in one point, you're guilty of the whole law. That means if you lie once, the Bible says thou shalt not bear false witness, and you lied once, you're guilty of all the laws. And if you're guilty of all the laws, there's no way you can ever be justified for those on your own merit. You just can't do it. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. I went, he went to the cross, I went to the cross with him. He went there for me. When he was on the cross, he was wearing and bearing my sin, my shame, and my judgment and my penalty. He took it all into his own body, the Bible says, on the cross, and there he nailed it forever. Never to be brought up for me again. I, I, once I've accepted Christ and the blood of Jesus has been applied to my life, I'm free. Free indeed. Whom the Son sets free is free Indeed, the Bible says. So we're not making this up. The scriptures teach us these things. Paul came to the point where he says, I'm crucified with Christ, but now every day that I'm alive, I understand it's not me. It's Christ living in me. It's, a, it's almost time for these, isn't it? Not quite. It's only Labor Day, but, you know, Big Bear. It's cooling off already, isn't it? This is like us. This is us. And this is Jesus. And this is how he wants to live. Is he wants to be in you. He doesn't want to just add you on to a number of other gloves. You know, and say, that's my people. I'm over here. I'm separate from. Paul says, I'm alive only because Christ is living in me. My movements, my actions, wherever I go, the places I, I uh, frequent, the things I do, what I speak, what I think, all about me is because he has slipped himself inside of me. He's given us the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the infilling, not just the outer covering, not just the coming upon like in the Old Testament when the Holy Spirit would come upon prophets and then they would prophesy and the Spirit would then lift. Jesus said, whoever believes in me out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the Holy Spirit who was not yet given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. But Once Jesus had been glorified, raised from the dead, obtained our forgiveness at the altar of heaven, if you will, by putting his own blood there, and we knew that his sacrifice is enough. He said, when I present the blood before the Father and it's enough, I'll send the Holy Spirit back. On the day of Acts, chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when, when the Holy Spirit came, it was an absolute signal to the world that the offering of Jesus had been accepted before the Father. Now, if Jesus had gone and said, Father, here's my offering, here's the blood on the altar, if you will, of my own life, here's my sacrifice for the sins of the world, and the Father would have said, no, it's not enough, then Jesus would not have been allowed to dispatch the Holy Spirit to us. So when Peter stood up and said, hey, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Amen? Your sons and daughters will prophesy and dream, the old men will dream dreams. This is the sign that the offering of Jesus' blood has been accepted and we are forgiven. And now it's not just to baptize and come on and drape over, but to infill and to bring to us the power of God himself living inside of you. You're not God. I'm not God. Remember, we're this, this. We're the empty glove. You take the Spirit of God out of us, we're nothing. We're on our own. We're just floppy. (laughs) And failures. 
But when God looks at us, He sees the righteousness of His Son. He sees the person of His Son and the righteousness that Jesus provided slipped into us. And He says, there's my kids. You sang it this morning. What am, what am I compared to all of your creation? Who am I compared to your glory? Now, that song's a little tricky for me. I don't know how it works out for you, but there's almost a feeling as you're singing it, you know, who am I compared to your glory? Who am I compared to your majesty? It's almost a downcast kind of sentence, sort of a looking down like, I'm nothing. It's rhetorical. Almost the answer becomes, I'm a zero. I'm a cipher. I'm a zippo. Nothing. But the next sentence is where the song should be hinged and pinned to. But wait. I'm your creation. I'm your beloved. I am the only thing in all of your creation. We, humankind, Adam, mankind, is the only part of creation that's fashioned in his image. God is not looking to redeem trees or mountains or streams or rocks. He's not looking to be worshipped all out in nature. You can take God and you can go with and you can stand in nature and worship God, of course. But I, I, I like that old song the youth used to sing, Ain't no rock going to take my place. Ain't no tree going to wave its branches as long as I'm alive. Praise the Lord. I'm not going to leave it up to nature to just shout of His glory. I want to be a part of that. And we sing songs like that. I'm going to join in all of everything else. But above everything else, I am His creation. You were fashioned in His image. And He's willing to forgive your sin and infill you with Himself so that you and I can say, like Paul, we've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we're still alive. And as long as we're alive, it's an opportunity for Jesus to live out His life through His body in the earth. If we'll allow and yield ourselves to Him. If we yield and say, God, I'm Yours. Everything I have. We're saying, I surrender again today. All of it. All of it. To you. Everything about me. If God owns me, He owns everything I have. This is one of the struggles we have in our culture. We're very materialistic. We're very capitalistic. We have a lot of stuff. Right? We have a lot of things. And we tend to think we own those things. And we have title deeds. And we have pink slips. And we have kinds of paper goods that you know we hold in our safety deposit boxes that proves we are owners of things. And it's a high uh, priority in the American culture to own and have and accumulate. But the beauty of it is, is if he owns you, he owns all the pink slips. He owns all the title deeds. He owns all the checking accounts. He owns all the savings. He owns all of it. And your problems are his problems. Hello? Recession times, things get tough. He understands. He lives in it with you. He's walking through it with you. For me, Paul says, for to me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. Let's go back to that and hear the rest. He knows he's, you know, he's in jail and he has this relationship with the Philippian church that they've been supporting his ministry since the very beginning. And in chapter 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops, the overseers, and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who be, has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. For your fellowship in the gospel. Yours might say partnership in the gospel. The word is the same one we talked about last week. Very similar. Koinoneo, koinonia. Uh, the fellowship in which everyone shares all things alike. Koinoneo means I have something and I share part of it with you. Koinonia means we're all in it together and we have common share. And Paul says, I praise God for you. I think of you with joy. I pray for you with joy. All of you, every time I think of you and pray for you, it's this joy in my heart because we've been partners in the gospel ever since the very beginning. We've been in koinonia. We have shared. You've shared with me what you have so that I could go and preach. I've shared with you the word of God so that you might grow and increase in his grace and his peace and knowledge of who Jesus is. We don't have all the same things, but what you don't have, I supply. And what you, what I don't have, you've been supplying. Look at chapter 4 where he starts to sign off this letter in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. You had koinonia in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Because we've been partners in the gospel, my God's going to bless you. Because you've shared with me in my distress and in my supply, I'm not looking for any specific thing from you, he says. But this is the same Paul that wrote what we talked about last week. Remember, what you sow is what you reap. They were sowing into his ministry. They were sowing into the future of the kingdom and its expansion and the name of Jesus being proclaimed in other places. And they were going to receive a blessing back because of that. And Paul says, I'm not looking because I'm not saying these things because I want another gift from you. I'm looking for the fruit that will abound to your account. Because as you sow, you'll reap. The principle is there. Now back in chapter 1, verse 19, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. I'm in prison. I'm in jail. This could be my last hurrah. Turns out it wasn't just one of many for Paul. But 
no promise of tomorrow. And he's saying, I'm filled with joy. I thank God for you. I pray he'll bless you. And I know that even what I'm in now is going to turn out right. And I'm going to glorify God if Jesus is going to be magnified, whether they take my body and kill it or whether it continues to live. Either way, Jesus is going to be glorified. And in the next sentence is when we read, for to me, Paul says, to live is Christ. To die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell, or I do not know. I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. I'm hard-pressed. I don't know what your scriptures say there in your version, but the word is like taking something in your hands and squeezing it extremely tight. That's hard-pressed. It's if you could compact something, really just squeeze everything possible out of it. We're squeezing out the sides, hard-pressed. Paul says, that's how I feel. I'm hard-pressed between these two apparent Options really aren't my selection, but one is to go on living in the flesh. And if I do, then Jesus will be glorified. For to me, to live is simply Christ living in me, doing what he wants to do. The other, wow, is to be with him. The other is to be free. To move from the constraints and the difficulties and the tribulations of this fleshly dwelling on to peace forever. Joy in Jesus for eternity. Anybody looking forward to that journey? Hey, you're on it. Amen. We're in it. But there are days when, like Paul, you say, I'm just feeling pressed. And today would be a good day. (laughs) Just go ahead and go. I shared before that I was sitting in my little desk area at home. I've got my little library up in front of me and some all the financial stuff of our household. That's where I open my computer and do all the stuff I have to do to kind of maintain the home. And I was looking at it one day, and I thought, one day, all this is just going to stop. This is going to stop. My fiddling and opening and closing and clicking and three-holding and punching and, and recording and putting in, it's just going to end because I'm going to end. And it was a revelation to me. I thought, yeah, I better tell somebody what's up here. And I'm going to pass on a little information. You know, like you got a hundred passwords for your stuff and you got all the, you know, things. You probably ought to write a few things down for those who are going to come and stare at what just stopped. And say, what do we do with this? It's going to be you and it's not going to be soon. Amen. That's uh, my, my desire. But it could be tomorrow, couldn't it? You know, they say you're not really ready to live until you're ready to die. Getting things in order in order to pass on, say, you know what, to die would be gain. Paul's saying this, but if I go on living in the flesh, it's just another opportunity for this. To understand that I'm the glove, he's the hand. And everything I have belongs to him. I can turn it all over. I don't have to be worried appreciated that response in the back there. I don't have to worry. 
Not to be overly concerned. Jesus said, take no thought for tomorrow. It's got enough of its own. You don't have to build it up. Don't give it any extra strength. Don't lay too much out there to worry about. Your worrying is not going to change much. Someone has a statistic that says 80% of the things we worry about never happen. Where do they get these statistics? I don't know. But if 80% of the things I worry about never happen, I might as well give up worrying about them, right? Get the 80% of my time back. Could be an overwhelmed with life. Jesus said, yeah, you're going to have tribulation in the world, but be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Be full of life. Be, let me fit into your glove. Let me fill you. Yield over. Be the empty vessel. Let me fill you and let me take you where you need to go. Let me live my life out through you. And you can just quit worrying. You can't add an inch to your height. can't change the... Whoa, maybe we can change the color of our hair. <laughs> hey, I know, I'm not making fun of the, you know, the marble tops in the room. They say they don't put marble tops on cheap furniture. That's right. I also say that when the older you get, your hair grows inside your head. If it touches gray matter, it comes out gray. Hey, you take the rest of that and figure it out. Nonetheless, before we get too far on my error, for to me to live is Christ. Paul in chapter 3 of Philippians makes a powerful statement that goes along with what you sang this morning. Let me try a little bit to tie them together. In verse 3 of chapter 3, Philippians says, We are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Everything I had that was to my credit, I counted as loss. I turn it in. It's of no value to me compared to knowing Christ. Even the fellowship of His sufferings is better than owning things here. Being attracted and pulled back by the momentary delights of the world. I don't have need of those things. I have Christ. I have everything. If I have Christ and He has me, then all of heaven is at my availability. I can call on Him and He is my supply. As Paul says to the Philippians, as you've taken care of me and advanced the gospel, then my God will supply all of your need according to His 
riches in glory. Not according to your need. He's going to supply your need according to His riches. I just want to qualify that verse. We've often heard people take that verse and say, my God will supply all my need according to His riches in glory. But the rest of the chapter is important. The reason Paul said that God would do that is because the Philippians were involved in doing what God wanted done. They weren't just overspending and then crying out to God to come meet their bills. Hello? They were involved in the gospel. They were partners in koinonia with Paul in advancing the kingdom. And Paul said, because you're involved in the heart of God and you're doing these things and you're supporting me and doing this for the kingdom, then God's going to come back and take care of you. Don't you worry about it. Because he's got plenty. And he'll take care of you. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. I'll lift them out of context. And I say this openly because I know the time, there are times when we look for principle in Scripture that's borne out by a particular set of verses or uh, pointed in such a way that it helps us realize truth. But it's not necessarily uh, connected to its other whole chapter reference. And I, I do that with these next two portions openly. Unashamedly, really. I mean, we could cover the chapter too, but it just takes longer. Verse 19, 1 Corinthians 6, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That is, they belong to Him. Probably should ask ourselves, does my body belong to Jesus? Does my spirit belong to Jesus? I've been bought at a price. Therefore, I'm going to let this body glorify Him. I'm going to let this framework of who I am, let Him fill it and let Him be glorified through this. I'm going to try and do it myself. Romans chapter 14, verse 7 and 8 says, For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. I am your beloved. I'm your possession. I belong to him. You belong to Him. He's paid the price to have you all to Himself. Ownership. Some of the decision making isn't yours anymore. Hmm? As as was said by Bev, our agendas change. I don't just get up and say, hey, I'm going to do what I want to do today. I have to say, Lord, here's the empty glove. Fill me with your life and yourself and where are we going? And what will we do? Father, I am your beloved. When you look upon me, be sure and see the righteousness that is not mine. I never earned it. I can't get it. I don't own it. All my righteousness, Isaiah said, was like filthy rags. And that's all I had to present to you. But you gave me the person of your son and his work on the cross. Therefore, I have his righteousness. I stand before you clean and holy. And my past is forgiven and forgotten. 
You know, this is a strong point there. He forgives our sins and he removes our sins as far as east is from west. And I, I know I've referred to it before, but right here on this knuckle, I have a little backwards J scar. And uh, it's not significant because it's a J, it's just a scar. But I still remember the day that this was filled with pain. I mean pain when this thing happened. I won't go into the details of that because it's, it's ugly. But you know, it doesn't hurt anymore. And it, it's healed up real nice. The scar is there to remind me there was a day when pain occurred. And an error was happening in my body that I didn't enjoy. And it reminds me when I look at it, but boy, I don't, I'm sure glad I don't hurt anymore. It's not permanent. Sin in our life is not permanent. When Jesus forgives us, there are some scars we end up with, right? There are some consequences to our actions that sin. And they, they stay with us for a season, but they don't have to hurt us anymore. They don't have to control our life. They don't have to dictate what tomorrow is going to look like. I'm free in Jesus. You're free in Jesus. This is a new day. There's a line drawn. The past is forgiven. We're moving on. And when we move on, we step into the righteousness provided by Jesus. And we turn our face to the Father and He says, I love you. You're my beloved. I'm, you've, I've made you accepted through the person of my Son. Let's have fellowship. Let me slip into you. Let me live my life out through you. For to live to you is Christ. To die, hey, is gain. We're moving out of here. But as long as we're going to live here, let's have the attitude of Paul. That is that it's him living through me. My choices are not only mine to make. I need to consult the owner. I'm a steward of my body. I'm a steward of all the things in my safe deposit box. I'm a steward of material goods. I'm a steward of my family and their needs as a homemaker or a husband or a father, as a family leader. I'm a steward of those things. I'm a steward of generations. I'm a steward of truth. Whatever Jesus has given me, now I'm just a manager. And I should consult Him. And when I experience loss, then the the owner experiences loss. And he will bear the brunt of it. If I have success, it all goes to him and it's for his glory. And he may even say to me, enjoy the benefits thereof while you're in the planet. But one day it will all stop. It'll just... And it'll be somebody else's to deal with. Hallelujah. (laughs) It's going to be a good day. Now, when you're young, you don't think about those things. You're indestructible when you're young, right? Amen. Amen. I'm a little more destructible these days. You know, when you hurt, it just hurts a little longer. And I notice the floor is a little further away than it used to be. I don't know who moved it. The Amplified says, I have been crucified with Christ. In Him I have shared His crucifixion. It is no longer I who live, but Christ, the Messiah, lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in, by adherence to, and reliance on, and complete trust in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Therefore, I don't treat God's gracious gift as something of minor importance, 
and defeat its very purpose. I don't set aside and invalidate and frustrate and nullify the grace, the unmerited favor of God. I don't set it aside. I live in it. Father, would you take us into a deeper experience of allowing you to be the hand in the glove. Holy Spirit, we know it's by invitation that you come. And I invite you now to come and fill me, fill us. Don't just clothe us upon from outside or make it an external opportunity, but fill us from within so that the driving force of our life from within is literally the person of God. Take away from us a mindset that says we are ever separate from you. That you're over there and we're over here. And we're going to try our best to live like you. Allow us to be merged in our hearts, our mind, and our spirit as is already done. And understand that you are living in us and want to live out through us. Lord Jesus, we commit commit to you everything we have. Lord, I know I can't say that on behalf of every heart in the room. And even in my own, I sense a bit of hedging. Wait, I might want to hold on to something. Lord, bring us to the place of complete surrender so that we're free to live in a way we've never experienced. Make us fruitful and effective in your kingdom. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, take that into your cell groups and challenge each other this week. Amen? See what it means to live for Christ. I'll look for Him in you. And you can look for Him in me. Okay? Okay. All right. God bless you.